Welcome to the Dell Wamsley Radio Show. Listen and grow as Dell questions the status quo, encourages you to think differently, and empowers you to make a better life. Get ready as Dell challenges core beliefs, seeks the truth, and reveals the roadmap to the lifestyle you really want. And now your host, multi-millionaire, national award-winning investor, CEO and founder of Lifestyles Unlimited, Del Wamsley. Welcome to the Del Wamsley Radio Show, where the hype ends and the help begins. I'm your host, Del Wamsley, and as always, we're working on your financial freedom. Well, my friends, this week I've been working on a montage of shows that is basically taking us step-by-step through the understanding of the economics of scale on the first show. I did, um, and you can look these up on our website and follow them along, but the first show I did was about single family and how I got started in single family, Um, how I moved from single family into duplexes and then into fourplexes and then into groups of duplexes and fourplexes. Uh, The next show, second show I did in this montage was a group of... um, was about moving into multifamily housing, which uh, I talked about a 20-unit, a 30-unit, 40-unit, and ended up talking about a 64-unit and a 68-unit, which is really the point where my real estate career blossomed. At that point, I would say I was really wealthy. I was making a lot of money. I made a lot of money on single-family housing, but I was making a lot of money. And I bought a 64-unit apartment complex that was old and run down, and then the story goes, I bought a 68 unit across the street that was brand new from a guy that was an engineer and he did a lot of work to fix it up, but he just didn't really understand how to operate the property. So he ended up selling it to me. And between the two, I was making between 10 and 15,000 on each property each month. So I was making between 20 and $30,000 a month. Tax-free income because of real estate, a lot of depreciation on these big apartment complexes. And it really put me in a position where at that point I knew that I had made it. There was no way I was going to make that much money ever working at a job, twenty to $30,000 a month after tax, you understand, which would have been worth, you know, anywhere from thirty to 40000 a month if you put taxes in, or even thirty to 50000 depending on how you, where you were taxed at. So it was, it was quite, the, quite the position for me. Lo and behold, though, a deal came available right down the street. Now, remember, I had a 64 and an 88, gave me 132 units. But a senior citizen's property came available right down the street that was 88 units, I believe is what it was. And so I looked into the property, and it was very interesting that it was owned by a guy who was like 70-some years old. And this is 30, 40 years ago, so he'd be 100 now, over 100. But he owned a bunch of real estate, and he was he was kind of a slumlord. But it was interesting about this particular property because he said that when he bought this property from the guy that sold it to him, uh, the guy made him promise he'd leave it a senior citizen's place. And the kind of senior citizen's place it was, just so you understand, because there's different types, this was the type that everybody in the place had to be 55 years of age or older to live there. Now, there's modifications to these rules, and you need to look up what they are if you're going to get into this kind of thing. But back then, the rule was basically at least one person had to be 55 to live in this place. That was the law slash rule. This place had been modified to be you had to be 
everybody had to be 55 years of age that lived there. You couldn't have a 55-year-old married to a 40-year-old and live there. Uh, the, the concept was just to keep it quiet, keep it nice, keep it a safe place for older people, et cetera, et cetera. The other type is a place where everybody has to be over 60 or 62 or something like that. It's a, it's a different level of senior citizen place. And then there's assisted living, which this was not. This was a situation where people just lived in their units. And these were full apartments. And so they had their own full apartment. But the differences in their own full apartments was that there was also senior recreational facilities there. Now, what do I mean by that? Well, there were two full courtyards that people could go out and sit and they grew flowers. There was, you know, each person had their little plot where they could put their flowers and plant their plants and take care of stuff. They could walk around the inside of the, uh, these courtyards and get a little exercise. There was even sidewalks. <laughs> and if you were rich back then in a senior's place, you, you were known to be rich if you had a scooter, one of those little carts, right? Uh, I joke about that. I'll joke about a bunch of things because it really was interesting owning this. In addition to that, there was a recreational room, and in it there was a full kitchen and a big, giant area that they'd set up and do things like scrabble days. You know, uh, there were puzzle days. And then in the side of that big room, there was also a TV area. And... I had bought a big screen TV and put it in there for them because their TV they had had for like 10 or 15 years was so bad that I just took, I think it was a, what was it? It was like about a 50-inch TV, big screen TV. Now, back then, guys, you got to understand, this is 30 years ago, 40 years ago. The big screen TV I took them was one of those big plastic box TVs that sit on the ground. This wasn't one of these really thin screen little, you know, high definition things. This had, I think, 720 definition or whatever they were back then. And, boy, they loved it. They thought I was the greatest thing since sliced bread. But before I owned it, you know, I tried to negotiate with this guy, and I found some interesting things about negotiating. Now, that's always been the most interesting part of all this to me is negotiating deals. Um, and as I negotiated with this guy, what I found was that everybody wanted this place. I mean, it was the rents were $100, $200 a month less than what they should be. And the guy told me, hey, I just never raised the rents. And they're, they're seniors, and they really can't afford much more in rent. And, you know, I never really raised it. He said, though, well, they could, but I just don't because I don't need the money. And I don't have a mortgage on the place, and I just own it. And I'm, you know, pretty wealthy at 70 years of age, and I don't really need the money. So I just kind of give back to society. The guy who sold to me maybe promised I'd leave it a senior's place. So as I negotiated with this guy, brokers were all trying to get the listing from him. And you have to understand, this was two blocks one and a half blocks down the street from where my properties were. So this guy knew who I was. He knew my properties. He saw how I maintained my properties. And again, we're into that situation where, like I've said, I've been able to get people to sell me stuff just because they liked me and they liked the way I took over properties and so on and so forth. And they liked the way I owned or financed stuff and I paid my bills and, you know, I just had a good reputation. So this guy liked me and we also, he had a lot of rap. Unfortunately, he was a bit of a prejudiced kind of an individual, so the stories were really hard to listen to. If you can imagine what a 70-year-old, you know, guy's stories sound like, I mean, it's just every racial slur, every, you know, pejorative you could use. And I had to sit there for like 30 minutes at a time every time I go visit him. And I went and visited this guy at least 10, 15 times. 
And a couple of times I ran into, you know, other people and they were trying to, to get it from him also. Now I found out that his son owned the place with him and it was kind of like his son was wanting him to sell it. That's the only reason he wanted to sell it because his son was getting into another business and he wanted the money to start this other business he was doing. He was buying a fleet of trucks to sell ice cream bars, believe it or not. So that was the only impetus. The guy didn't really want to sell. His son was leaning on him to sell. And he really had no reason to actually, you know, sell the property. And so it was really hard to negotiate with the guy because he really didn't care. I mean, it's real hard to get somebody to do something when they really don't want to do it and or they don't care if they do it. And my banker, because I already owned so much other real estate, for years I'd been in the business. I'd owned so much. I owned two right down the street. The banker had no problem that I knew what I was going to be doing and gave me a loan. Now, I had to come up with about $300,000 on this deal. And the way I got 300000 remember, I put $327,000 on my credit card to buy the one right next door. At this point, it was a situation where I had some other properties that I needed to refinance and pull the money out of. So I refinanced those and pulled the $300,000 out. But I didn't do it right away. What I did was I went to the bank. I said, look, Let's just cross-collateralize this thing. I got this other property down here where I got at least a million dollars worth of equity on it. Uh, I've got a loan that uh, it has got a prepayment penalty, so I can't pay it off. But I've got all this equity. Can I put a second on that property and cross-collateralize that down payment over to this property? And lo and behold, they said, yeah, we can get away with that. We can do that for you. So I ended up buying this property with nothing down. Now, you remember, the first property I purchased with $100,000 out of pocket. The second property, I per- and by the way, I got that by selling some houses. Uh, I don't remember which properties it was, but I sold something to get some cash. The second one I bought, I bought with credit cards. And now the third one I bought by cross-collateralizing. So I had literally only $100,000 in three apartment complexes. This particular property was making me, again, another ten dollars to $15,000 a month. And so on all three properties, I was making between thirty dollars and $45,000 a month. And at that point, guys, I realized how much money I was really making. I'm making, you know, over half a million bucks a year. I mean, that was some uh, incredible money. And that's after tax. So if that's after tax, that's almost a million bucks a year in pre-tax on the income just from these three properties. Don't Forget about all the other ones I've ever told you about and all the hundred houses I owned out there. This was just extra. And it's really when I knew I was I was rich. At that point, I remember having a conversation with a guy. We read a book, and the book basically said this. If you don't make half a million bucks a year, if you don't make $40,000 a month, you're not wealthy. You have no money. You're really nothing. And so this was like a goal in my mind after reading that book for Ever, my goal was to get to that point where I made that kind of money. And so all of a sudden, there it was. Now, there was more interesting things to learn about this particular project. When I first went over there after I bought it (laughs) to go see it, um, in fact, I I think I went and toured it one time before I bought it. And I walked on the grounds. I remember coming in the sidewalk on gate, and like 20 women came up to me and surrounded me. And they go, are you the guy? And I said, the guy? I said, what do you mean? Are you the guy buying this place? I said, yeah, yeah. She said, are you going to kick us all out of here? I go, I don't think so. 
I don't think that's really the goal of the business is to get rid of all of its customers. Now, interestingly, I'm surrounded by women because once you get past a certain age, it's almost all women. Uh, let's say there's 100 tenants at this 88-unit apartment complex. I'll guarantee you that 80 of them were women. You know, if you wanted any kind of a male companion, you had to put up with the fact that other women wanted him too. It just was the craziest thing I've ever seen. In fact, it's so crazy. When a new guy would move in, all the women would come down and they'd send a coalition of women to come down to the office and go, we want to know. Know what? The facts. We need to know the important facts. Well, I didn't know what that meant until later someone explained it to me. I finally found out what it was. The important facts when you're 70 years of age are... Does he have any money? Is he wealthy enough to afford a scooter? And so I I hate to break it down to you guys. When you get to be 70 years of age, those are going to be the important things. So we'll take a short break. We'll come back and we'll talk about what else I learned from this property because there's a lot to learn. We'll be right back with the Del Wamsley Radio Show. Roadmap to creating the lifestyle you really want. Keep listening. The Dell Wamsley Radio Show returns in moments. Dell Wamsley on the economy and politics. What happens if the economy turns around and goes back down now the Democrats are in power or inflation becomes rampant? And all of a sudden, it becomes very difficult to do business. I was listening to an economist the other day, and he pulled out this chart of GDP. He said, look, here's what I want you to do. He said, tell me anywhere from 1950 to 2021 where the Democrats took power and where the Republicans took power. He said, point it out for me. And the truth of the matter is you can't tell. If you're sitting on the sidelines waiting to see what the politicians are going to do or waiting to see what the economy is going to do, if you're trying to predict the future, stop. Politicians and the economy have no bearing on your success or failure. Only you do. Register for the next live online free workshop. We'll unfold the map to retirement in five years or less, regardless of what's going on in the world. It's the same proven strategies we've been using for 30 years through every political party and economic cycle you can think of. Register at lifestylesunlimitedworkshop.com. You're hearing the Dell Wamsley Radio Show. Want more life-changing knowledge? Access our podcast and listen on demand at lifestylesunlimited.com under the radio tab. Now your host, Dell Wamsley. Welcome back to Dell Wamsley Radio Show. Today we're following up here on the trilogy, the third day of a trilogy of talking about the economics of scale of growth. And now we're on to my third property within one block. Uh, I had 132, which was a 64 and a 68 unit. I add now an 88 unit within one block away. So what did that do for me? Economic to scale wise, I now needed another manager. And that was 132 units, which, which was the maximum stressing point for one manager. In the apartment business, we go by the rule of 100s. So for every 100 units, you need one manager and one maintenance guy. So what I did was I put another manager in on 88. So this manager for 88 was really underutilized, under 100. The other manager had 132 units and was overutilized. So wherever there was any crossover, the 88-unit manager would suck up the difference. And between the two of them, 
Uh, there was like 208 units, I think it was, and there was two managers. So it was perfect. I mean, unbelievably perfect. But the other thing it did was it now allowed me to have a supervisor. And what is a supervisor? Well, this is a person that hires, fires, and trains the managers, overlooks the finances, overlooks all of the bills that come in to make sure that they're real, make sure they get paid on time, and coordinates with the bookkeepers. So I no longer have to coordinate with the bookkeepers. Finding a bookkeeper that is honest and having a manager that is honest allows you to let the manager say these bills should be paid and allows the bookkeeper to say I paid them and signed the checks. Now, I don't need to look at every single bill. I don't need to sign every single check. I'm out. Basically, that is the end result where you want to end up is out. Now, what do I do? I hire the supervisor. I manage the supervisor. I hire the bookkeeping team and I manage the bookkeeping team. But that doesn't mean I work in the business. I work on the business. There's a big difference. Um, Gerber wrote a book. It's, I forgot his first name, but his last name is Gerber. He wrote a book called The E-Myth, which the myth is that you think you're an entrepreneur if you own a business. But as a, as a business owner, if you have any job description at all in that business, you don't own a business, you own a job. And so this was the point where I no longer had to get up every single day and call my apartments. You know, you'd call your managers, the supervisor. I'd call my own man. Hey, how are we doing? Any problems? Do we need to order anything? Do I need, you know, Home Depot to get something? Is there anything I need to do, fix something, pay a bill, call one of the vendors we're having a problem with? I had to be the heavy. But I no longer had to make that call every day, and I no longer had to be that heavy. I had to make a call probably once a week to my supervisor, maybe every other day, whatever I wanted to, whatever you're comfortable with. Uh, and my supervisor was very good, so I had no real problem with it. Now, I have to tell you this. It's just out of um, <laughs> decency. I married my supervisor, <laughs> and my wife, uh, Melissa, is and was the supervisor. She still is a supervisor for my properties, uh, which means she doesn't work in the property. She acts as if she's the asset manager, as if she owns the place, and she manages the people under her. But I don't. And this is really the level you all want to get to. Until you get to that level, you're still doing some stuff. You've still got a little bit of time invested. Now, I don't mind investing time. It never really was the problem. What I did like, however, was somebody else that had some different thought processes because she was better at hiring women. Uh, well, actually, she's even better at hiring maintenance guys because she's in the business. She's worked all the way from the bottom of the business all the way up as an employee through the business. So she has some clear understanding of what it takes to run one of these things and the kind of people she had association with the apartment association. So she knew people, she knew good maintenance guys that had worked for her over the last X number of years that she had been in the businesses. First a leasing agent, then an assistant manager, then a manager, uh, and then a supervisor. So it, it was a situation where she could bring a lot to the table that I couldn't bring uh, because I just never had lived that experience. And uh, it really was good to have professional management in there to work on that. Now, one thing I will warn you of, and that's this. The people that come out of the apartment industry, 
to come work for you. They understand the industry. They understand the insides of the apartment industry. What they don't understand is wealth. And to them, they always had a job. The people they worked for, the supervisors, were a job working for a property management company. And the property management company even had vice presidents, the big guys that had a job. There was no ownership touch to any of it. So the decisions that they make are what I call self-interest. Uh, we, we, in, in our business, we call it silo events. In other words, I'll make a decision that's best for me and my division, not best for the overall company, not best for, you know, the profit and the bottom line. Many times it's just like, what's best for myself and my staff? Because they're trying to maintain their staff. They're trying to maintain their, their goals within their little silo. And so that's where you really have to be careful when you bring in professional property management, that they see that. When I brought uh, Class A, my first Class A property, uh, what I found was that their, their payroll was ungodly. And it was so over-budgeted. And you say, well, how do you do that? Well, they had extra people they didn't need because people didn't want to work certain days and so on and so forth. And they had benefit packages that were just, they were like you were a corporate executive or something. Uh, just amazing stuff they did. And then they had bonus plans that were ridiculous. I mean, you could bonus your way into making tons of money. Of course, the property, the more money we made, didn't make any difference. We didn't make any more money because they bonused away all the profit. So any additional income we might get where we're getting ahead, they were giving it back away to the employees. Uh, and, you know, there's a right and a wrong to that. There really is. So there we go. That's the end of this story. That's the end of the top of the line of the real estate pyramid. From that point on, I just bought more and more properties. Now, one thing I did do, I had her running like five properties, I think it was, five or six or so. Yeah, I think it was five properties. I went out and got another supervisor. I went out and got a guy named John Ridgway, who is a, a vice president of a property management company for years had 25 years experience. I said, look, I'll go into business with you this time because I don't want to put any more stress on now my wife. Uh, well, I don't think we're married yet, but she was my girlfriend. I said, let's make a deal. We'll put a company together. It'd be a management company. You own the management company. I'll own the real estate. You manage my real estate, but I'll give you part ownership in the real estate to give you some incentive for being in it. And you'll give me you know, some standardized prices for management, property management that's fair, and we'll, you know, lock those prices in and so on and so forth. Today, um, we're going to end the show with the uh, introduction of a couple that are going to be showing their property, sharing their property with us on the uh, 2023 Wealth and Passive Income Expo and Multifamily Masters Tour. Now, this is something we do every year. We've done it for many years now, I think 10 years or so. And uh, we usually have between four and 5,000 real estate investors. This is the largest real estate investor event that there is in the country. I guarantee you, you will, it will blow your mind. I, I guarantee you will blow your mind. You get there. You're going to be able to network between four and 5,000 people, and uh, all of which uh, are either people like yourself just trying to get into the business and learn how to do it and or top real estate investors in the country. In fact, we will have the top real estate investors in the country there from the last 
15 years in a row because we've had the top real estate investors in the country every year for the last 15 years in a row. Now, what we're going to talk about today is we have one of the neatest things we do besides having tons of classes you can take. There's four full days of classes you can take, as many as you want, all part of this this event. But one of the things that is the neatest and everybody raves about is the bus tour. And we have eight properties we're going to go see. And we're going to go see them on Wednesday and Thursday. So when is the date? This is February 15th to February 18th in Irving, Texas. That's where it's going to be. Uh, we took over the whole convention center there. But this bus tour is the 15th, which is Wednesday, and the 16th, which is Thursday. You don't want to miss this, if at all possible. I don't know how many seats are left over, so I, I pray that there's still some left over for you to get. But you need to check it out and find out because this is the best thing we've ever done at Lifestyles. And we do it all the time. This is what really made Lifestyles over the last 33 years, the ability. So what goes on? Well, you go to their properties and they show you the tour. They show you what they've done to change everything, what they've done to make it worth a lot more money, increase the income and so forth. And... Uh, you learn all the tricks. That's what it basically comes down to. If there is such a thing as a trick, you learn it because they're going to share it with you. They open their books. They open open the questions and whatever you want to, to cover. So one of the families are going to share their property with us today is Candace and Corey Muldrow out of DFW. And they've been with us since 2015. They bought three apartment complexes. And uh, Candace retired in 2019. Corey retired in 2021. So you got a four-year, five, let's see, 19 would be four years and two five, six years, four years and six years to retire. And they're done. You got to understand this. They're done. And when they first got married, they decided that they didn't want to live the normal life and work for the rest of their life and be, you know, barely above broke, whatever that is. So they decided to take action. So we have them here today to share with you. Uh, they've got a property that's going to be available to show. So welcome, Candace, Corey, to the show. How you doing, Dale? Very good. I appreciate you guys both uh, coming on today and opening your property up for everyone to see. What are we going to get to see, guys? So we uh, are going to be showcasing the Paisley at Arlington, which is a 200-unit property we bought in December of 2021. Um, it's uh, pitch roofs, um, individual HVACs. Um, it's a marvelous property, lush, lush, beautiful grounds. It's got all the amenities, playgrounds, basketball courts, all that good stuff. It was just a tremendous asset. All right, so this is a little different. You've uh, you've got a total rehab under your belt already, don't you? Oh yeah, we've uh, we've done the full spectrum. We've you know done the the, the properties where the roof is caving in and seventy two percent occupied, and you have to drop all the way down to the fifties. We've done those and. We've done the uh, the nice yield plays where you just operate and, and, and pump your value through improved operations. So we've done the full gamut. You know, I, um, I'm hoping that uh, you're going to be able to uh, show us some of the tricks. Is there stuff there that you can show us, or was this property good right out of the blocks? Did you make some changes? So the property had solid bones to begin with, uh, but we just took it to that next level Went in cedar patios, painted it, um, just made it beautiful, new signage to really catch the attention of the property. It um, gets a lot of traffic where it's located. So we really took advantage of the location. Um, so folks would be would want to live there. 
It sounds fabulous. I can't wait to see it. Um, you know, I'm, I go out both days so I get to see everybody's property, so I will see it. Uh, I was looking here on your bio, and this caught my eye. I couldn't let this go. I'm sorry, just for the listeners on the radio show here. Uh, Belmont Place Apartments returned $2.4 million to the investors. Can you tell us how you got $2.4 million back to your investors out of that deal? That's profit you returned? That's just a cash-out refinance. Well, well, that would be a supplemental technically, but we refinanced out uh, $2.4 million to our investors. Wow. So it says here that's a 70% return, or is that the 70 is the total return on the project? Uh, that's what the total point that, – that was the total return up to that point in time. So um, we're probably somewhat higher than that now, but, yep, that's, that's what we did. So tell me about this other thing I saw in your bio that I thought was rather interesting. You guys started this right when you got married. That's pretty unusual. Can you? I've got one minute left. Can you get that story in real quick about how you guys decided to do this right out of the blocks in marriage? Yeah, we both knew we wanted to invest in real estate, and we bought our first single family before we got married. Corey was adamant about that, getting that done before our actual wedding and we did we joined lifestyles and it's just been great ever since four properties later hosting the, the bus tour it's it's just been a fun ride wow that's amazing it really is when somebody has an online I, I tell you though for you to be able to Corey to get her to buy a rent house before she bought the home to live in that's some, that's some sales <laughs> skills right there buddy <laughs> All right, guys, thanks for coming on. I really appreciate it. And the rest of you out there, remember this, with Corey, with Candace, with me. It's not the money. It's the lifestyle. Have a wonderful day. Listening to the Dell Wamsley Radio Show. Want more of Dell's unconventional wisdom? Go to lifestylesunlimited.com and click the radio tab. Listen to past shows, hear podcasts on demand, and find out how you can change your life today. The Dell Wamsley Radio Show is part of the Lifestyles Unlimited Radio Network. The information and opinions you hear on the Dell Wamsley Radio Show are those of the host, Dell Wamsley, his guests, and his callers, and do not necessarily reflect the opinions of this station, its affiliates, its management, or advertisers. The Dell Wamsley Show is for entertainment purposes only. Please consult a professional regarding your personal investment needs. Nothing presented on the Dell Wamsley Show constitutes an endorsement, recommendation, offer, or solicitation to buy or sell any product or security.